For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. What can the modern church learn from Old Testament worshipers who made music such a vital part of their worship experience? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah looks at the rich history of musical worship and unpacks the core principles you can apply to bring greater meaning to your worship. Listen as David introduces the conclusion of his message, The Endless Song of Worship. And thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm David Jeremiah, and it's my privilege to continue our discussion of worship today, finishing up what we started yesterday, kind of chronicling the Old Testament stories of worship. You know, sometimes we talk about contemporary worship, and uh, I'm pretty sure that some people who hear that think that worship started like maybe 10 years ago. Worship's been around for a long time. It covers the pages of the Old Testament. And then tomorrow and Thursday, we're going to talk about worship in the New Testament as we look at Ephesians and Colossians where we are told to worship and praise the Lord. I hope you are being encouraged as we study worship together. If you would like to have the book from which this series originated, you can get your copy of the book by going to davidjeremiah.org. There you will see the book, the study guide, and the CD package. You can order them all from our website. And uh, our resource for the month of September is the calendar, Moving Mountains. It's a 2023 turning point calendar that actually begins two months in 2022, November and December. We offer it in September now because of the challenges we were having, making sure that we got it to you in time for you to use it when you wanted to use it. Um, It's more difficult for things to get where they're supposed to go on time these days, as you know. So we give this calendar plenty of time to arrive. You can get it up on your wall Begin entering your events that are important, especially during the holiday season. Follow along in the Bible reading schedule that's on the calendar and keep up with what's happening at Turning Point throughout the year. I hope you will give us a chance to make this available to you. Here's what you do. Send a gift to Turning Point of any size during the month of September and be sure to ask for the calendar and it will be sent to you as soon as we get your request. Well, Today, we continue our discussion of worship as we go back to the Old Testament and continue the journey through the Old Testament uh, writings, discovering how worship pops up everywhere. One man has said that it is probable that during this time there were over 200,000 Jewish people who had been trained in music. And there were several, some 288 special teaching teams that rotated around the 24 groups through the year, refreshing them and teaching them and helping them to know how they could grow in their ability to praise God. It was the very center of Jewish faith and religion because praise was so important. There was massive praise when Nehemiah came back after He had been taken from his people. 
and he rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Remember that story in the book of Nehemiah, how they came back, the walls had been torn down, and Nehemiah helped to build them up, and when they got the walls all built up, if you get a chance sometime, read the 12th chapter of Nehemiah. There's a whole section in there about how at the dedication of the wall, they sought the Levites out of all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to keep the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals and psalteries and with harps. It's interesting that as you study the Old Testament and you read through the Bible and you study spiritual revival in the Old Testament and New Testament scriptures, there is always an association of music. It's incredible. In fact, D.L. Moody said that he observed that music and song have not only accompanied all scriptural revivals, but are essential in deepening one's spiritual life. Singing does at least as much as preaching to impress the word of God upon people's minds, wrote Moody. Ever since God called me, the importance of praise expressed in song has grown up in my heart. If you've ever studied the life of D.L. Moody, you know that he had a great singer who worked with him, Ira Sankey, and they did great things as they worked together in the preaching and the singing of God's praises. Then I'd like to tell you about one other experience in the Old Testament that helps us to understand worship. Do you remember that that great temple that was filled with 4,000 singers when it was dedicated under Solomon, that temple was ultimately destroyed. It was a prime target during the wars of that time, and it was decimated. And for a long period of time, the temple of Jehovah God lay in ruins, just like the walls around the city lay in ruins. Nehemiah came back and built up the walls of the city of Jerusalem, but Ezra and Zerubbabel came back to rebuild the temple which had been destroyed. And in the book of Ezra, and I'd ask you to turn there, if you will, in the third chapter, we are told what happened when this project was underway. When Ezra came back with the people of the Lord to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed, they had barely gotten the foundation in place, and they got so excited, they said, time out, we're going to have a major worship service. And I want to read it to you. In the book of Ezra, chapter 3, verses 10 and following, you follow in your Bibles, this is what it says. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with the trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, and cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of King David of Israel. And they sang together by course and praising and giving thanks to the Lord because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Just the foundation. But many of the priests and the Levites and the chief of the fathers who were old men or ancient men that had seen the first house or the first temple, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, they wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the noise was heard afar off. Think of that for a moment. You see, the story is that when they went to rebuild the temple under Ezra and Zerubbabel, there were still some men around who were old enough to have seen the glory of Solomon's temple. And they had gone through the anguish and pain of seeing that temple destroyed. And now they saw the temple coming alive again. And when they got the foundation up, these men were so overcome with joy that the Bible says they wept aloud. And here were the old men weeping aloud and the young people shouting in joy to the Lord so that you couldn't discern the difference between the weeping and the shouting and the weeping and the shouting was all offered up to God as one great presentation of praise and worship. What a day that must have been. Well, 
There are so many other things we could say about music from the Old Testament. These events that I have touched on, and there are many more, are just a few. They're representative. There was the time, I'm sure you know, when David played his harp to soothe the spirit of Saul, 1 Samuel 16. You may not be aware of the fact that David wrote a funeral song that was sung at the funeral of Saul and Jonathan. You will find that in 2 Samuel chapter 1. And of course, there's that famous song of the women of Israel who sang when David came back from his defeat of Goliath. And the song was, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And that got David in a lot of trouble. A lot of songs in the Old Testament. But I guess the question that I like to ask as we kind of bring all of this to a conclusion is, what does this mean to us? That we could read these things in the Old Testament. What can we learn from this that will help us to understand how we are to more adequately and perfectly offer our worship to the Lord. And I just want to leave you with a few very practical thoughts that I hope the Lord will use to help all of us as we strive to become better worshipers of Jehovah God. The first thing that's quite evident is that worship in this particular period of time was a response to God alone. In more than 100 references in the Psalms, worshipers sang to the Lord. More than 20 passages in the Old Testament speak of ministering to the Lord as we worship. The people, we are told, came before God to praise Him. A hundred different passages in the Old Testament describe the worshiper as approaching or appearing before God. In fact, when God gave the instruction to Moses for the building of the tabernacle, he explained it this way. The first major worship center in the Bible, he said, There I will meet you, and there I will speak to you. There also I will meet with the Israelites. I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. Exodus 39, verses 42 through 45. In fact, the Old Testament word for tabernacle, do you know what it means? The word tabernacle means a rendezvous tent. (laughs) A rendezvous tent. Can you get that? A place where people rendezvoused with God. What a marvelous thought. You know, even though I realize we're not worshiping under Old Testament laws, and we don't have a place where God physically comes as he did in the Old Testament in the tabernacle, we are still worshiping God. And I wonder if any of us ever dared to think of our church as a place where we rendezvous with God. Bruce Leafblad, who's written a great deal about worship, says, We have forgotten in our churches that we perform our worship, our singing, our praying, our offering before the Lord. In the Old Testament, no one ever thought of coming to worship to get anything. They always came to give something back to God to worship him for all that he meant to them. This idea of getting our needs met in church is a relatively new innovation that is born out of the self-centered philosophy of our day, where we feel like we have to get something. It is in the process of meeting the need of God, who seeks for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, that we find the fulfillment in our own lives that we've been looking for all along. Worship is a response to God. Whether our singers know it or not, they aren't singing for us. We join with them, but they sing for God. Our trumpeters don't trumpet for us, they trumpet for God. Our companies don't accompany us, they play before Jehovah God. God is the audience of one. We are all the players on the stage and we play before him. I tell you, if we could ever get a hold of that concept, 
all of the craziness that sometimes finds its way into musical ministries across this land would dissipate and be gone. I care not what others think. I care only that I do my best for Jehovah God. He is my audience. And he is your audience when you sing in praise to him. Worship is reflective of our spiritual life. We say much more about ourselves by our singing than we know. We have seen the great joy that was a part of Israel's celebration. But you know that music tends to be a barometer of our spiritual life. I wish I had time for us all to turn to this passage, but let me just give it to you for your notes. There was a period of time in the life of Israel when things were mighty sad and mighty low. Do you know that because they had violated the year of Jubilee for 490 years, God said, all right, if you won't give me the year that I require, I'll take it from you. And he took them away for 70 years, one year for every seven out of the 490, and put them in captivity in Babylon. They wouldn't give him the Jubilee year, so he took it away from them. And while they were in Babylon as captives of an evil nation, on one occasion, we are told in Psalm 137, some of the Babylonians came to them in jest and said, hey, you Jews, we hear you're great singers. We hear you have great songs of joy. Sing us a song. Psalm 137, let me read it to you. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplar trees, we hung our harps. For there our captors ask us for songs of joy. And they said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And we said, how can we sing the songs of Zion when we are in a foreign land? Do you hear the cry of their heart? How can we have the joy of the Lord when we are suffering for the disobedience that was ours? It is in essence true for all of us that our song reflects quite often where we are in our walk with the Lord. Some of you used to have a song on your lips every day because of what the Lord had done. It may not always have been in tune, but it was a song nonetheless that welled up in your soul and you couldn't contain it. But there isn't any song now because you're walking far away from the Lord and the song is gone and you need to pray the prayer of David of the Old Testament. Oh God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Music reflects our spiritual lives so often. You know that's true for us individually, but it's true in churches too. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever walked into a church while you're on vacation? You walk in, you sit down, and the first thought you have while you're there is that something's dead here. You don't know what it is, but something is very dead. <laughs> they stand up. There's loud organ music, but nobody sings. They just sort of look at each other and you can see they're sort of half mumbling the words. There is no joy. There is no song. There is nothing. There is death and not life. On the other hand, you can walk into some churches and as soon as the music begins, the place comes alive because the joy of the Lord is in the hearts of the people. Music is reflective of our walk with the Lord. And this one could get me in a bit of trouble, but let me just say it anyway. Music, thirdly, is a release of the whole person to God. Jack Taylor, who has written a book on praise, says, Always active, assertive, demonstrative, open. It is not passive, presumptuous, undemonstrative, or secretive. Whenever it is mentioned, movement, action, and songs are seen and heard. Praise in the Old Testament. When I was a student in seminary back many years ago, I had the joy of 
exposure to one of the great churches of America. And that exposure has probably marked me more than anything I've ever known in all my days. I was attending for several months the First Baptist Church of Dallas where the famed W.A. Criswell was the pastor. And uh, they had one of these marvelous music programs in that church and they were committed to worship. And I had never really seen anything quite like this before. And I remember the first time I went to the service, Don and I were sitting in the balcony. I remember it like it happened yesterday. And it came time for the pastoral prayer and all of the men who were seated on the platform got up, walked to the front of the platform and knelt down. And there were microphones placed across the front of the platform so that the one who could pray would kneel in front of the microphone and he led the people in prayer on his knees. But that wasn't the most shocking thing. I looked to my amazement as the whole congregation, without any signal at all, reached forward and pulled kneeling benches out from under the pew in front of them and the whole congregation got on their knees before God. And I had never seen anything like that before. I didn't know exactly what to do. But I tell you, it was an awesome thing to see the whole congregation kneeling before God. Nothing honors God anymore than we are totally released to him with all of our bodies involved in releasing our praise and our worship to him. Kneeling before the Lord. Hudson Taylor came back from China, brought one of his young Chinese converts with him. The convert went to a religious service, a Christian service for the first time. And after he had visited the service for the first time, he came to see Dr. Hudson Taylor. And he said, "Uh, Dr. Taylor, he said, "Uh, I went to a worship service and it doesn't make any sense to me. And Dr. Taylor says, what do you mean? He said, he says, why do all the Christians in America worship their chairs? And Dr. Taylor tried to figure that out. And suddenly it dawned on him that what he meant was whenever it was time to pray, all this man could see was they looked down at the pew. And he had been a Buddhist all of his life. And when he worshiped Buddha, he looked to Buddha. When he became a Christian, he began to look to God. But he came to America and he said, everyone worships their chair. Well, I'm not saying we have to look full in God's face when we worship him. But don't we have some strange things that have grown up? For instance, how many of you have seen the praying hands? (laughs) And it's in statuesque. It's in books. It's in living color. It's in many of our homes. And somewhere along the way, we learned this is the way you pray. You know what? There is not one shred of evidence from the Old to the New Testament that anybody ever prayed like that, ever. That came from Europe somewhere. And you know what? We do obeisance to the praying hands, and then there are things in the Scripture that are so very clear and plain that because we're culturally inhibited by them, we're afraid that we may be moving out of comfortable territory. Understand? Don't tell me we're not bound by tradition because we are. What I learned from the scripture is that worship is an absolute release of all that we are to God. And I'm not saying that we should turn all of this upside down and become wild-eyed zealots. I'm just saying that worship in the Old Testament was much more involved than what it is for most of us. Finally, What is very evident to me, and this is so simple, and yet it's the most profound thing that I discovered in the Old Testament. It just kind of hit me between the eyes one day when I was reading this. Worship is a responsibility of every person in the congregation. Every person. While it is true that in the Old Testament there were many trained leaders, 
the many leaders who led worship all throughout the history of Israel, their purpose was not to be performers, their purpose was to be leaders, and in order that all of the people might worship God in beauty and in holiness. There were no non-worshippers allowed in Israel. Everyone worshipped. You wouldn't have gone to the temple service and saw people kind of watching as everybody else was singing and praising God. It was incredibly impossible. If you were an Israelite, you worshipped God. And you know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 2.9 that we, we are a chosen people. Now watch this. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God in order that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. The New Testament concept is this, that while in the Old Testament there were many priests who led in worship under New Testament rules, we are all priests and we have all been chosen that we might worship God and remind God that we're aware that he has chosen us out of darkness into light and that we're going to worship and praise him and we don't care what anybody thinks. We are here to worship God. Hebrews 2.12 says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And I know some of you, you like to sleep, but if you come and you fall asleep and it does you good, well, then God bless you. That's fine. I don't worry so much about that. But I tell you what I really worry about. I worry when there's so many people who, for some reason, you've gotten the idea that the first part of the service doesn't involve you. But you just kind of look around, watching other people sing. And I say to you, if we understand worship as it is presented in the Bible, it is impossible to be in church as a person of God, to know Christ has redeemed you from sin and set you free and not be involved in singing praises to him. You say, Pastor, I can't sing in tune. I don't care. You're singing to God. When God gets your song, it's always in tune. Amen? He takes these noises that come out of our mouth and somehow he's got a little translator up there and it always is in pitch when he gets to him. Isn't that wonderful? He just says we have to make a joyful noise. You say, well, good night, I'd be embarrassed to sing. People are, wait a minute, what did we just learn? Your song is to God. Sing your praises to the Lord. See, you may be saying a lot more about yourself than you want to say when you stand there closed-lipped. Because my friend, if you know the Lord, you may be passive and bashful, backward. You may not think you could ever do it. You need to praise him. Because worship and praise is a responsibility for every person in the congregation. Now let me just close with this brief word. Ronald K. Wells has captured this in a little bit of poetry. He said, he listened as the pastor spoke and bowed his head for prayer. And when the offering plate was passed, he gladly gave a share. But when a hymn was wont to sing, he tightly sealed his tongue till songs of praise that cried for strength were weak and feebly sung. Not just because he failed to sing, but others joined him too and mocked with hollow silence the praises of the few. Forgive us, Lord, who fail to see the glory of the song that nobly lifts the name of Christ above all sin and wrong and tune our hearts to sing thy praise until each sincere soul shall stand condemned within his heart to shrink back from that goal. The goal that each heart born anew may gladly join our song, not just within the worship hour, but through the whole day long.
as we learn to worship God, it will be like a ripple effect in our lives. It will begin to affect us all day Sunday and all day Monday and throughout the week. And then as we learn to worship God out there, we'll bring it back here and it will be reflected in our worship so that this will be a gathering place like the 24 different choirs out of Israel where we all come back together for our massive praise to God. May he grant that we are willing to learn how to worship him, which is the chief purpose of man. Amen. Amen. Well, tomorrow we turn uh, from the Old Testament to the New Testament and two critical passages, one in Ephesians and one in Colossians. And we talk about the fact that in the New Testament, the song continues. I hope you'll join us then. Don't forget, we're coming to your area this fall. If you live in Raleigh, North Carolina, we'll be there October the 6th in the PNC Arena for an Attorney Point event. Then on October the 13th in Orlando, Florida, in the Amway Center. October the 20th in Greenville, South Carolina, in the Bon Secours Wellness Arena. In Buffalo, New York, on Friday, November the 11th at the Key Bank Center. This is a ticketed event, and the tickets are available free at davidjeremiah.org slash tour. Go there and order your tickets. Plan to be with us for one of these nights of celebration. Join us tomorrow here on this good station for the next edition of Turning Point. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. Let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by writing to us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4, visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of our inspiring 14-month calendar for 2023 moving mountains and spend each day encouraged it's yours for a gift of any amount you can also download the free turning point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search for the keywords turning point ministries visit davidjeremiah.ca radio for details this is david michael jeremiah join us tomorrow as we continue the series my heart's desire here on turning point with dr david jeremiah faith that moves mountains turning points moving mountains 2023 calendar will remind you of the power of faith with monthly scriptures and a bible reading plan this 14-month calendar will help you stay organized and grow in the lord the moving mountains calendar is yours with a gift of any amount to the ministry and when you give 100 or more we'll send you five calendars perfect for sharing with family and friends go to davidjeremiah.ca If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. How would you define success? How do you know when you've succeeded? These thoughts on success may jog your thinking. To begin with, the dictionary is the only place where success comes before work. 
It was General Dwight Eisenhower, commander of Allied forces on D-Day, who said, There are no victories at bargain prices. And this quote applies in those instances where success comes easily. If at first you do succeed, try something harder. In the final analysis, God's definition of success matters more than all the others. As far as I can tell, one word defines success in God's eyes, and that word is faithfulness. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how God views success on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.